If you have your Bibles, please open them to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 5, we're going to give you a little bit of a background, and then we're also going to immediately direct you to Hebrews chapter 3. Today's sermon is a little unique in a sense that we're covering perhaps one of the most difficult uh, topics in all the New Testament, and that's how the law relates to the New Testament. And specifically, most people don't really know the Old Testament law very well, but one thing they tend to hang on to because it's talked about so much in the Old Testament is the Sabbath. And so we need to look at uh, our text this morning from a very high-level view, and I think that will help you probably more than anything else because it's a conversation piece that comes up continually, uh, I've discovered, in lives of Christians because you have other people that's, that claim to follow Christ, yet they have put themselves back under parts of the Old Testament law, whether it's the dietary laws or, or the Sabbath. And I would like to try my best, and it's going to be hard in 30 minutes to explain perhaps one of the most difficult topics in the entire New Testament. So if you've been following along, if you've been here or uh, been watching the videos, you know in the book of Luke, Jesus is fulfilling all of the Old Testament, first he begins by fulfilling the Son of God, Son of Man, what Adam failed to do, just as he failed to defeat Satan and have dominion over the earth, he did so. Jesus in his ministry not only comes, but in his ministry he battles Satan, not with swords or shields or anything along those lines, but with the very word of God in the wilderness. And then he begins to have dominion over the entire land. He's walking through Israel, and as he does so, he's casting out demons, he's defeating Satan, and once again, he even has control over the seas, the fish, as the miracles are occurring and healing. So that's kind of the context that we see when last week, beginning in verse uh, 27, the very last uh, aspect of that verse, chapter 5, Luke, Jesus tells Levi, follow me. And in the coming chapters, he is revealing what it means to follow Jesus. And that may sound really simple until you realize, what were they following? They were following the Old Testament law. So Jesus now says, follow me. And he begins to reveal what that looks like. So as you glance down at verse 32, he says, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. So that's this aspect of following Jesus, this message and this calling. Verse 36, he also told them a parable. He says, no one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. And I use the illustration of just taking a new shirt and would we tear the new shirt to patch holes in the old and to try to make it new and we would not. So he begins to highlight this aspect that there's going to be a new covenant, a new way of following God. He continues a little bit further down, verse 38, and he says, but new wine must have or be put into fresh wineskins. As you know, when we take the Lord's Supper, we're drinking uh, the blood of Jesus symbolically eating his flesh. Jesus symbolizes himself as this new wine. 
and it's being put into new wineskins, us. So this new way, this new covenant, this new promise of following God, would we would be new creations, we would be new vessels, we are new creations in Christ as Christ dwells in us. Remember, under the law, you did not have that personal relationship. Sin separated the people, and they would have this sacrificial system, and the high priest would go into the holy of holies, and there was this distance between God and man. But in the new way, Jesus, God, would dwell in us. So it is from that perspective that Dr. Luke begins to explore what does this look like in regards to one of the key aspects that people thought of in regards to the law that, that impacted every single week, and that was the Sabbath. That was so simple seemingly, but I want us to do a little bit more background and now turn to Hebrews because you're going to see that Hebrews in the context of all of history and now what it means today. Because this is a difficult issue that occurs in Galatians and Colossians uh, time and time again in Acts. Uh, what was going on? How does God reveal what the Sabbath is all about and what it means and how we are to enter into it? And to give you a perspective here, why this is so important to you, how do you apply this to your life? My very first job out of college, I worked in a place called Sherman, Texas. It's around the border of Oklahoma and Texas. I'm working for a nut and bolt company in this, this uh, warehouse, no windows, nothing, and it's dark and dingy. And my first job out of college after, what, 16 years of education was to count literally a thousand nuts and bolts and do an inventory of these greasy nuts and bolts. So I'm all day back in this dingy, dark warehouse. And I'm realizing really quick, I'm quitting this job. <laughs> so I go out and there's this, this awesome, nice guy. I, I remember him to this day. He was just awesome. But he wasn't a believer, and I asked him, I was like, Paul, how do you do this? You've done this for so long. He goes, well, I live for the weekends. And his whole uh, height, his whole goal, his, the greatest joy that he had in his life was on the weekend, he would go home, and he had this little man cave. It was a shed, a wooden shed in his backyard. He would go out there and play with his models and literally drink beer until he passed out. That, that was the greatest good that, that he could think of. That's what he lived for the weekends. The question is, what do we live for? Do we live for the weekends? The interesting thing is God created the entire world and he rested. And then years later, as the people are coming out of Egypt, he gives them the law. And based upon the creation account in this rest, he gives them the Sabbath, this day of rest. But notice, every single week, they're working, and then they get to enter into God's rest that he gave them. But Monday was coming, so to speak, and then they would have to start work all over again. But the joy and the grace that God gives us as he reveals, the Sabbath isn't a day. It is a place of eternity, an eternal rest. You see, God created the world, and he rests from his creation. And then when Jesus comes, he fulfills that Sabbath because we enter into a new creation. 
that remains. So we enter into a rest forever. We're no longer having to live for the weekends. So with that background, let's read Hebrews chapter 3, and I'm just going to read through it, noting a few things. Read, uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. We're not digging in. We don't have time for that. But I just want you to see the 10,000-foot level of what the Sabbath is all about. It says this, beginning in verse 12, Hebrews chapter 3. Take care, brothers, lest there is, uh, be any of you with an evil, unbelieving heart. So right off the bat, we're talking about belief and faith, which is radically different than just simply coming to a day of the week. He says, take care, lest any of you have an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today. And that becomes important here in just a minute. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold to our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And he's going to talk about the rebellion there in the wilderness as God is about to bring them into the promised land, a place of rest. He says in verse 16, For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? So not only is he talking about the rebellion, but they had heard, they had disobeyed the word of God. And that becomes important in the gospel. Jesus is presenting the way to rest, the way to him through the word. So he continues, uh, was it not all those who left Egypt uh, led by Moses, verse 17, and with whom uh, who was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? Verse 19. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Anyone can wake up and be a part of Saturday, which is the Sabbath, if that's all you think the Sabbath is. But Hebrews is revealing to enter into the rest is not just a day, but at both a place and a time, and it requires faith and belief. Verse 1 of chapter six, or 4, Therefore, while the promise of entering the rest still stands, so it's a promise, let us fear uh, least any of you should seem to fail to reach it. Verse 2, for good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. You see, they didn't understand. It takes faith to enter this rest. As he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my, uh, my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. So he's telling them, hey, this Sabbath, it, it was finished a long time ago, but that's not a, what it was about. Verse 4, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in the passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. So he's clarifying and explaining the Old Testament. Since therefore it remains for some to enter, right? So some get to enter, some don't. If you just see it simply as a day of the week, that's not true. But we see that it's different than the reality of just being a day of the week. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day 
today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them a rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Who are the people? Those who believe. Verse 10, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. He equates obedience with belief, disobedience with unbelief. So there's this amazing picture that when we enter into the rest that Jesus provided, this new creation, Jesus' work on the cross is complete. It is finished. And as we're about to read in Luke, he is working even on the Sabbath because his purpose was to fulfill the Sabbath, to provide a way of final and complete rest. So in Christ, we're not looking for just some day of the week to rest. We're looking to the reality that as the scripture said, we have died and our life is hidden with Christ. The work is done. All we have to do is simply follow Jesus. We have entered into that rest every day of the week, today, tomorrow, the next day. So the idea is Jesus fulfilled the law. The Sabbath has been fulfilled. It is continuing every day and will continue. So with that background, let's turn back to Luke. Luke chapter 5. Or actually, Luke chapter 6, I'm sorry. So once again, very high level. We're just simply going to read this. It's broken into two sections. Verse 1 begins on a Sabbath. Verse 6 begins on another Sabbath. So two simple stories there about the Sabbath and what the Pharisees were seeing in the Sabbath and what Jesus explains about the Sabbath. Beginning in verse 1, it says, On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some uh, heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. What's going on? Well, in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 23, it allows for this to occur. If you were to just be walking through fields, wherever you're at, you are allowed to feed yourself. Now, it says you weren't allowed to bring along a sickle and like take some to go, right? You couldn't load up the backpack. But you were allowed to feed yourself. And they were doing this, but they were doing it on a Sabbath. And notice the Pharisees, verse 2, it says, But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? So they had decided that even though it was lawful on the Sabbath, it was unlawful according to their tradition and interpretation. Jesus counters, and he answers them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. What is he talking about? Well, in Leviticus, part of 
the sacrificial system, part of all that went on in the temple is they were baking bread and they did a lot of things to it and they, they put this bread before um, God in the temple. And it was only lawful for the priest to eat it and every day they would bake fresh bread. And so in 1 Samuel, the story that Jesus is referring to here is this. The Saul, the king, um, is chasing David and his men. David has been anointed as the new ruler and king. So you have Saul in this dying dynasty chasing and attempting to kill David. He's fleeing for his life and he needs food and he goes in. And Jesus says, hey, if it was all right for him, what about me? They had no answer. And then Jesus says this, verse 5, and he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Huge statement there that you might not realize. So here's the imagery. You have David fleeing for his life, looking for food, right? Has anyone ever chased you for your life? Right? And like, no, but if I did, maybe I would have time to stop by McDonald's. I don't know, right? Or sneak in the back door. But so David is hungry, right? And he goes in and he takes the bread of presence. You have a dying dynasty trying to kill the anointed ruler. Now you have the anointed ruler in Jesus, the Holy Spirit coming on him, uh, all the things that you see that occur with David, and Jesus is being pursued by this dying dynasty of the Pharisees. He uses this illustration. Not only that, but this illustration has nothing to do with the Sabbath. The, the text in 1 Samuel doesn't say what day it occurred on. It is all about who is Lord and who is attempting to kill who. But Jesus responds that he is Lord and specifically he reveals this title, the Son of Man. Well, what's that all about? Well, here's the verse that he's referring to in Daniel. It says this, I saw the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. So if you ever run across some sort of phrase in the New Testament, you're wondering what it's about, it's more, or imagery even, look to the Old Testament and you'll realize how they're using it and how it's being fulfilled. He says, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Once again, this, he, he's pulling this imagery that David had a kingdom he has a kingdom as the Son of Man, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. So they're looking Sabbath. He's talking about everlasting dominion. For all peoples, all nations, all languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. His answer on the Sabbath was simply this, I'm the Son of Man, and I am Lord of the Sabbath. And he opens up this huge vision, this huge understanding of what's beginning to take place. The Sabbath points to the finished work of God. And he is ushering in this new kingdom that will be everlasting for all peoples everywhere. 
So they had just this simple question of like, why are your disciples eating grain out of a field? And he brings it to this. And so few people realize that as they're reading through the Gospels, they're just like, oh, they'll read the, uh, the, the kind of the little quotes. Of, I don't know what your Bible says. Mine says, a question about fasting or a man with a shriveled hand or Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. You're like, oh, that's nice. That's another nice Jesus story, <laughs> right? But this is unpacking how the entire Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus in a very simple manner. Next, on uh, verse 6, quickly, as we're moving right along here, it says, On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. Let's just pause right here. Many of you are believers. Well, all of you, I believe, here are believers. I'm used to saying many, but I get to to actually speak to everyone I know. There are going to be people in your life that even though you're following God will accuse you falsely of all sorts of things. Now, I'm not saying that you're not sinners. We all sin. But it's amazing when we simply try to follow God There are people who absolutely hate that because it reveals the sin and darkness in their actions, in their speech, in their behaviors. Well, you're not alone. Jesus warns, if they persecuted him, they'll persecute you. And here we're seeing it. He's just simply trying to heal a a man whose hand is, is withered. Can you imagine being that man? Verse 8, and he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here, and he rose and stood there. Uh, If you remember, I've showed you pictures of a first century synagogue, and it's really about as big as this building, truthfully. But instead of having the chairs lined out like this, there are seats uh, that are cut in, in stadium seating seating all around the building, and there was a front to the synagogue. So he would bring him out maybe midway into our church, and, and he had him standing there, and all the people around the edge were looking at him so they would all get a very clear view of what was going on. Verse 9, Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? He presents no middle ground. Do good or do harm. Save life or destroy it. There's no gray area here. You're either going to follow God or not. Verse 10, And after looking around at them, all of them, he said to them, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and disgust with one another, what they might do to Jesus. So you see, very simple picture of healing on the Sabbath. Jesus comes to save and to heal, to redeem his people. This other dynasty, they're looking to accuse, to harm, and to kill. How had things gotten so messed up? It's just real simple. They had quit following God and they were simply following the laws. Jesus called them to follow him in every way. 
Well, how does this play out for us? Let me just give you a few more verses that, that might help you to see how this continues forward um, in the New Testament. Colossians 2, 9 through 10 says this, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So this Jesus who fulfilled the Sabbath, who came to heal, who came to finish the work of God, he is dwelling in us. So how does that play out? Well, he continues in Colossians. He says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So think of following Jesus. Are you trying to honor Jesus with certain foods? Well, Jesus says, feed on my flesh. He says, abide in my word. Just as the Hebrews writers said, they were, they were to hear the word and be obedient. So the New Testament, this new covenant, wasn't about food and drink or days. It was about Jesus, and you were to take his word and follow him so that you would be transformed into his image and likeness because he is actually dwelling in us through his spirit. It's not a set of outward laws and rules, but inward transformation. And only you and I can make that decision. I know many of you, it was hard to get up this morning, some harder than others. It was pretty hard for me, but I was blessed. I've had people volunteer to come and help out early in the morning, and we've got others talking about that. But at some point, just even church on a Sunday morning might feel laborious. Maybe if you're not looking forward to teaching Sunday school or being a part of the tech team, but that's just simply when we begin to follow church. Most here are not following the law or trying to follow the law in an attempt to please God, but we do get caught up in ministry sometimes. But what does Jesus say? I'll just simply close with this. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And when we get Jesus, we get a lot of blessings. But above all else, we get Jesus. And when you have Jesus, we enter into his rest. I hope this week that you live every day and you're not just simply living for the weekend because we have that opportunity to rest in Jesus every moment of every day. Let's pray. Father, uh, the Old Testament laws can seem strange, but they're amazing and they, they point to Jesus. Help us to remember that you are the same God in the Old Testament as in the New. We just simply have revealed to us this new way in Jesus. Help us to realize the blessing that we have in that, that the very Son of God, our Savior, dwells in us. Help us to abide in his word and to be faithful in obedience. 
Help us not to drift back to legalism of just showing up to church and ministry, but truly allowing your very word to conform us to your image, that we might be glorious lights in a dark world, Lord. We love you and praise you. Amen.